Hello, travelers of the virtual world and beyond. Tis I, Nick Mahalik of Book Record Beer, Season 5, Episode 4, coming at you uh, with one of my picks this time. I am extraordinarily excited for this cast, and I am joined, as always, by my uh, good buddies and fellow weary travelers. Uh, firstly, one Daniel DeFranco. Say hello, traveler. Hey, everybody. It is so good to... And that's a fragment, <laughs> my friend. That's a fragment. <laughs> love it. Love it. Oh, man, he's giving you a taste of what we're going to jump into. Uh, and as well, Nick Gregorio, say hi to everybody. Hi, friends. How are you? I am fine. <laughs> I am fine. I do well. <laughs> um, so uh, what was Daniel's little snippet there? What the hell are we going to be talking about today? Um, I want to make sure that I, I say these right away so we can, we can jump in because uh, if ever there were a book that needed to be approached immediately, um, it would be this one. So we are looking at uh, Italo Calvino's If on a Winter's Night a Traveler, which arguably is 10 novels uh, <laughs> in one. We are also checking out the great, the fantastic Argentinian master Juana Molina <laughs> and her album Una Dia, Una Dia, Una Dia, Una Dia, Una Dia, as well. And lastly, it's only one. It's only one Una Dia. Yeah, though, but right? she loops it in the actual song Una Dia, mm. and that's what it sounds yeah. like. That's why I fucking did that. Damn it. <laughs> and uh, our beer today. Because of, I'm sure you're already kind of seeing the theme. We have a novel that's Ted Novels. We have a uh, Argentinian uh, Electrona Folka Master Looper. Uh, as well, we have Southern Tears Lakeshore Fog, a hazy and juicy IPA um, that, you know, between the fog and the haze, I think you're getting a sense of what our theme is here. And that's uh, not being able to make sense so much, but liking it. <laughs> that's that's loosely yeah, that's that's really good that's, that's loosely that is. what i'm what i'm i'm doing here uh or <laughs> what's my plan by the end right and this is a nick cast a nick mahala cast our leader this is, this is all this you this is all me baby um so i am i am really pumped about this one uh italo calvino is just like one of those authors who when you read him you go that's what i was trying to do and that's how I felt, uh, anyway, when I, when I read Atal Calvino for the first time. Um, in MFA programs, in our MFA program, uh, and I'm sure they did this during you guys' years, um, you go around upon first reading your cohort's work, and you suggest authors and books that they might like based on the style that you're sort of gleaming from what, they, what they've read or what they've, they've yeah. written. Uh, Nick Perilli... Uh, gave me Atal Calvino's uh, Baron in the Trees uh, on that first that first meeting of the cohort, and that that really, as far as uh, <coughs> excuse me, I wasn't getting choked up. I was, um, <laughs> as far as being a writer is concerned, that that turned me around in a huge way. That was that was again that moment I was like, this is exactly what I was fucking trying to do, um, but he just did it a million times better. Daniel, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember the Boy Who Loved Christmas, the story that I wrote? And I gave to you years and years and years ago. Oh, my God. Yeah. That was why yes. Pirelli gave me the Baron in the Trees. Uh, because, okay. of, because of this sort of like thematic similarities there. 
And that's why I never sent The Boy Who Loved Christmas to be published because The Baron and the Trees already existed. Yeah, so so The Baron and the Trees, was that bad as well? Go fuck yourself. It was good. <laughs> that's why I didn't send my bad story out. What a terrible <laughs> thing to son say. Son of a bitch. I'm <laughs> literally going to crack a beer after that <laughs> for numerous reasons, but that being the main one. He just comes out <laughs> swinging this time. He's not even uh, hiding it. I don't, I don't, I don't ask him to. Why would we? <laughs> <laughs> There's no sense in that. Um, so in any case, Atal Calvino, uh, who is this guy? Well, it's odd because he's like, he's actually a, a, a Cuban by birth. Um, but then of course, you know, his, uh, his, his parents, you know, he's, he's born in Cuba and then uh, they have this very, I don't know if you guys sort of picked up on this in, in sort of the way he writes. He almost has this sort of uh, sciency tone in certain novels, uh, you know, and his father's a botanist and stuff like that. I feel like there's some mm-hmm. overlap there just in the way he's using his terms, um, you know, sort of the, I don't know, to, the, when he was inhabiting different voices in this novel, I thought, oh, maybe this is just like the voice of his father in the back of his head or something like that. Um, you know, so, so they, uh, of course then, uh, move and, and he has this sort of like multicultural upbringing, which is very cool. Um, and then he ends up being this, uh, really interesting, you know, I, I would say satirist at times, um, humorist. Uh, he, he's also, when you look him up, he comes up as like a journalist initially, which I think is odd given the number of uh, <laughs> fucking novels he's written. He was a member of the, um, you know, Italian Communist Party. He's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's a very interesting dude who, who dips his toe in, in, in just about everything. And, you know, if you check out his bio, it, it, it goes on and on and on. The dude's done a, a, a quite a lot. Um, and I, I would just, if after our conversation about this book, you're interested in him, I would strongly suggest going to check him out because um, I, we, I could talk about him for quite a while, but uh, I'm not sure his background, besides that he's a writer, uh, a multicultural writer, um, really has any gravitas to the, to the conversation we're going to have about this novel, unless there's something you guys thought should be added. Um, nothing that... Uh, maybe the surrealist kind of... I mean, I wouldn't even call it, it's not surreal. I would, would you call this that surrealist? one part is surreal as shit? I mean, yeah. it's damn near. I, I used the word cosmic before the show, and it, I mean, it, it gets cosmic yeah. in this book. And so, I mean, he's Cuba is not South America, but I mean, I don't know how loose we want to be with, um, you know, well, there's me- he's got Mexico thrown in there, he's got Italy, you know, yeah. um, mm-hmm. so, so he, you know, he's he does dip his toe all over the place. The book. It, it kind of takes place all, all over the place. There is that really interesting one of the last chap- or chapters, which is also the beginning of a novel, uh, ends up, you know, being this almost uh, the city and the city by uh, China mm-hmm. Melville uh, situation where it's just all all forgery. It's all lies. It's <laughs> nothing's real, um, you know, and and everybody knows that nothing's real while also trying to make sense of the unrealness. So without uh, confusing anybody anymore who, who might be listening. Um, and before we get into this uh, incredible piece of work, um, I am going to introduce these cats um, as if they were embedded narratives. 
novels with embedded narratives, because uh, that's what we've got going on here. Quite a few, actually, um, as I'm sure you'll see, dear listener. Um, so if I were to introduce uh, Nick Gregorio as a story with embedded narrative, uh, he would be The Sandman by one Neil Gaiman. Uh, uh, that's, uh, that's pretty great. That, that, <laughs> entire, that entire thing. Um, I, I think for a number of reasons, not the least of which being that you, my friend, are uh, a huge fan of the graphic novel. And that yes, one sir. deals so much with myth, which Neil Gaiman, of course, does, which is, of course, another thing that, that you do love. Yes, um, sir. Certainly. Uh, Daniel, I would introduce you as um, a novel and movie that I Ooh. love and many people hate. Which Please I, be Farsco. Which I, Please be Farsco. Which I think is absolutely <laughs> <laughs> fitting. Uh, it, is, uh, it is Cloud Atlas, my friend. Um, and ah. one of the major reasons being is that um, the through line is music. Uh, and it's sort of this symphonic sort of piece. I, I loved it. Um, and I just felt like there is sort of this like overwhelming sense of, and it reminded me to be a perfect glass. When I was thinking about it of your, um, story, the earth hums and B flat mm-hmm. universe, yeah. the universe hums and B flat. Exactly. Apologies. <clears throat> um, and it, it just, I don't know that, that, that kind of stuck with me. And of course that has, uh, you know, all this, this dealing with, with time and love and loss, which are large themes, but also ones that I feel like you sort of orbit around as well. Hey, I, I like that. Thank you for that. Um, and I think Tom Hanks is in that. So he is. Uh, yes, sir. I was thinking more yeah. of Hugh Grant for you, but you know, whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if I totally understand your prompt here, but if I had to pick an embedded novel for you, I'm going to give you The Catcher in the Rye because oh. it's told in the second person. There you go. It's told from a place in the future. And there was that one time I came to your house drunk in the <laughs> middle of the night. And uh, I fell asleep on your couch. And you, you, you pet my head <laughs> until, it, until it creeped me out. I, so. Right when you said Catcher in the Rye, I was like, if he doesn't mention that scene, which is the one scene that I'm sure he's going to mention. <laughs> yeah, nice. Love it. Love it. All right, let's, um, let's get into uh, the book. Let's get into it. All right. This book... Uh, is in a lot of ways a meditation on writing just as much as it is a work of fiction. Um, And so that was going to be my first question to us because essentially what we have here is uh, interwoven chapters of a start to a novel that cuts off right when shit gets good, right? Right when the, 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 the action begins, right when we have that inciting incident, boom, we get pulled out, and then it's Dear Reader. And uh, Calvino seems to be, or the speaker rather, seems to be addressing you, the reader, directly. However, there is a character, the reader. So in these alternating chapters, you get first, because uh, chapter one is, um, you know, the, the not, well, the chapter one actually isn't. I'm sorry, I misspoke. Chapter one is, you are about to begin reading Italo Calvino's new novel. So he's addressing you directly. But the you... Super meta. Yes, but the you Mm -hmm. actually ends up being this character of the reader. Mm -hmm. And then there's another reader who gets introduced who's our uh, female counterpart to this reader, both of whom love to read. You know, on a very basic level, does that seem accurate? 
Yes. Yeah, it, it flip flops. It's a it's it's like a frame novel where yeah. you've got the you, the reader. Yeah. And then these and then these every other chapter are the ten false starts of incomplete novels that are linked to these characters of the readers who you initially think uh, is you because he addresses you as such in the second person, the mm-hmm. you. Um, and later, at about the midway point, you find out that you are actually the third reader. You are another character in this if you choose to be, essentially. right? So it's <laughs> yeah. almost like, do you want to be a part of this, dude? And then he's chastising <laughs> you at various points. Like, is that really what you're going to do? You're not going back uh, to, <laughs> to, to, the, to the other reader here? You're just going to mess with her sister? What is wrong with you? Um, <laughs> and so it is, it's very, very interesting because like, you can choose to be a part of it, seemingly, or, or not, but you are no matter what. Um, and yeah, you have no choice. You don't have a choice, but he presents it if as you're if reading you the book, yeah, because you continue to read. You must. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, you start with this address to you, the second person address. Then you get if on a winter's night a traveler. Then he pulls you out again, and you are uh, addressed once more. And so when we look at it, and this happens in, in one of the very last chapters, and it's pretty obvious when you look at the table of contents. Um, all of this combined ends up being something like a first paragraph, right? If on a winter's mm-hmm. night a traveler outside the town of Malbork leaning from the steep slope without a fear of wind or vertigo, looks down in the gathering shadow in a network of lines that enlace and a network of lines that intersect on the carpet of leaves illuminated by the moon around an empty grave. What story down there awaits its end? That is the paragraph that is made of the titles of all of these, you know, uh, Novels that don't exist. <laughs> yeah, that I, I, I was like, how did we say it already? Um, I wanted to repeat yeah. that so it r- remained. But in any case, my question to you to start, gentlemen, which of these open novels would you have loved to have seen through? Oh, my God. The one with the body, <laughs> where they throw the body off that balcony. <laughs> <laughs> Like, Do you remember the name of that one? Uh, no. <laughs> um, but essentially, in, the, in that, in that uh, false start of a novel or a fraction of a novel, it's this guy and a woman who are basically weekend at Bernie'sing. Yes, um, yes they are. <laughs> that's the body. crime noir. That was the yeah, one I picked I had... for you, actually. I was like, that's oh, the yeah. one he's going to want to read. Oh, yes. yeah. I have a note. I have a because note. it yeah. was so goddamn funny and gross. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, I just couldn't, I couldn't handle it. And like the, the, the description of them, like the way the body hit the ground after they uh. threw it off the balcony, I was like, Oh my God, this is wonderful. Yep. Yep. And then of course, uh, they're met and that, you know, that's not even the inciting incident. They're met by no, like, right. the dudes that are looking for them at the end there, of course. Yep. Um, and yep. you know, she's playing on the other side. Yeah. The crime noir was the one noir that, uh, that I thought you were going to like. It reminded me of, um, what's it called? Like City of Shattered Glass or something like that. They actually turned it into a graphic novel. Hmm. Shit. I'll, I'll, uh, I thought I was going to be re- able to remember it, but I didn't. So that one is actually um, Looks Down in the Gathering Shadow. That's the fifth one. Okay. Okay. Um, and yeah, that, one, that one's super... Super cool. I actually turned to Jill and I was like, dude, they're weakening and burning this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of 80s um, references in this book. They do a weekend at Bernie's. There is a Madame Miyagi, which yeah. if there's a Madame Miyagi, you've got to assume. Yeah, there's a mister. There's, 
Yeah. That that one, they get sexy as it goes on too. Oh my oh, sure. That that Madame Miyagi one is like <laughs> That's pretty bonerific. There's there's some penis head on a nipple here. Yeah, dude, it was like boner jams for sure. Which was really funny because Boner Jams. He, it's he <laughs> seemed to be 40-year-old virgin. <laughs> he he seemed to be, if we're going to make, you know, antiquated references now, um, yeah. he seemed to be, and I guess this is another question because you started with the crime noir. Do you think he's mocking uh, at all these, like, ones that he tiptoes into genre a little bit? Or do you think it's just he really is embodying these different voices? Because I didn't, I didn't come to a clear conclusion for myself if I thought there was a little bit of poking, perhaps a little bit of parodying, at times, yeah. but yeah. perhaps a little poke, but not necessarily yeah. for me. I didn't think anyway that it was a full mocking. Um, no, I felt it was like playful jabbing, um, uh, and that, not necessarily that, an homage either. No, no. I mean, it, it was it was certainly um, it, it was poking it, like you said, in in in, a, in such a way that you didn't feel like um, talked down to if if genre is your thing. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. It, yeah, it, it felt very. It was just fun. I mean, the majority of the book is very playful, um, except toward you know the end. Well, yeah, I I, I want to put a pin in that real quick because I actually have uh, something that I was thinking about that I would say the majority of the novels, the novel excerpts anyway, are very playful. Um, mm. I I'm not sure that the interlaced, so, you know, sort of like alternating chapters are as playful because um, he's grappling with a lot of really big themes and ideas here. Yeah. Um, kind of from the word go um, when mm-hmm. he addresses you. Um, Daniel, what was your favorite uh, of the, of the um, 10 novels? I don't, I don't, I wouldn't know if it's my, f- I don't know if I have a favorite, but the one that I <laughs> All right, felt fucking like, pick one. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Stop waffling. Well, I'm not waffling. I'm looking at it in a network of lines that enlace where the guy is running mm. and he hears the phone ring yep. yeah. and then he it was like, fuck, is it for me? Is that phone? For it Something about that just really tickled my kind of OCD anxiety <laughs> of just hearing a phone ring. I know it's not for me. <laughs> does, I don't even know who, but I'm hearing it. The house. I picture yeah. him doing that stationary jog next to the window, yeah. kind of just looking around. Yeah. Like, uh, I know it's, come on, get a grip. Oh, come get on. Get a grip. But maybe. No, no, but no. But maybe. All right. So he so he breaks into the house. He sticks his hand through the window, answers the phone, <laughs> and they're like, and he says, "Come here." Oh, now listen to me. Marjorie's here. She'll be waking a little while, but she's tied up and can't get away. Write down this address carefully. Uh, if you come to get her, okay. Otherwise, there's a can of kerosene in the basement and a charge of plastic attached to a timer. In half an hour, this house will go up in flames. What, dude? I didn't <laughs> know it. Why did I answer that phone? <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, because you expect like high as Bill there, but it's like a very serious ransom, and you can't even be like, no, 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 sir, sir. It, <laughs> yeah, it's hung it's up. Hung up. You, so now you're now you're stuck. Oh, fuck! I gotta help this lady. Mm-hmm. Um, or do I? Because I have a class to teach. Yes, <laughs> and he actually um, knows the uh, he knows Marjorie. They had a past relationship. It was a little. It was. Uh, I'm not that. I'm not sure that's a relationship. More as a. Uh, Sort of a little indiscretion a p- from a professor. Because yes. he like invites yes. her over to give her a book, and then he, he doesn't say it, but essentially it was like he did something untoward, she didn't care for it, 
Um, yeah. And he's embarrassed. And he, was, and he was super trying to defend himself. He's like, but it wasn't like that. It totally wasn't like that. God, it could have went so many different ways, but yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so he runs to the house. He saves her. Um, I release her. She vomits. She looks at me with contempt. You're a bastard, she says to me. And you know what? And that just reminded me so much of my, uh, when I was single. I just kind of. <laughs> you're putting yourself in a dangerous place, brother. That's a, you're a bastard. Because she's tied up, I think you've, you've escalated things in our perception of what your dating life was like uh, quite a bit. Um, well, no, I meant, I meant, you know, like being with a girl and she vomits and says I'm <laughs> yeah, a bastard. No, That's I, more of I what... got you. I got you. No, I didn't think you were, babe. of course, t- tying people up. Um, yeah, but not maybe, a sex pest. Um, so, so that one reminded me of uh, the movie The Game so much. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Uh, oh, you haven't seen The Game? No, I haven't. Oh, cinephile, dude. <laughs> it's know. one of the best movies ever made. There's certain I, I have gaps in my movie. Uh, oh, I have so, I have so many. I was so glad that I saw that fucking movie because nice. that that whole thing of not knowing what's real and what's not mm. is also a major theme throughout this entire thing, right? Yeah. Like, this whole idea of reality and, and playing with that. Um, Daniel, I couldn't choose, so I just combined them. And Calvino sort of like, you know, gave me the green light to do so. Mine were mm-hmm. um, that one, and then the one that follows with that sort of like billionaire mogul who's obsessed with mirrors. And yes, uh, yeah, that's crazy. Those two for me, beca- and especially because they are so similar, of course, mm-hmm. right? In in their the way they play out their themes and the cool thing. So so listener, the thing about this is is like these two that are like very closely named are very closely named for a very specific reason, which is that these two readers. Um, initially get what they think. They both buy what they think is Italo Calvino's new book, If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Then they find that the book cuts off, and what's happened is at the printer, all these other books have been printed instead of the remainder of If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Correct, gentlemen? Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. Yeah, that's so, right. So, so this is the immediate sort of conceit, is that they bought this book, they both bought it, they both love to read, they both want to finish the fucking book, and they can't because of a printer error that combined all these other books into the book that they wanted to read. And so they go searching yeah. for the remainder of this book. And in doing this, so they come across these various sort of like professors, experts, different people who have or say they have the book that they're looking for and inevitably give them another book. Um, because another incomplete another book. incomplete yeah. book because, oh, uh, actually what that is, is a translation from this language that has since you know, gone the way of the buffalo, and here's what we have about that. Oh, no, that's not the correct one. This is actually the correct one because that um, country was, uh, you, know, you know, trying to pass across this agenda in that particular novel. This is actually mm-hmm. the pure text. Um, and so that brings me to this question of he is literally in this book getting, he's touching on all aspects of writing, all aspects of the, how things get published, the, the, the idea of translation, he is, he is condensing what it means to be a part of literature, essentially, whether you be reader, publisher, writer, and anybody and everybody in between, translator, um, in, in 260 pages or whatever the fuck this is. Yep. W- yeah, would that, that be an astute, you know, sort of like yeah. observation uh, of this? 
Yep, it's perfect. And and like it, there there's so much um that this that this book is is guiding you toward and it, it, it's it's mind-bending and and in such a way that you feel smarter having read it because you you definitely I definitely had things coming to me. I was like, "Wow, this is really really intensely intelligent and um Re- revealing of what you know what it is to be a reader what it is to be a writer you know what the, what that means yeah <laughs> it's it's nuts because if you're reading this you identify with at least a, a small chunk of what he's talking about you 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 feel way less alone when reading mm-hmm. this because you go if you're the reader bang like i i totally agree with that i get that um but if if you're if you're a writer and a reader like you know we are lovers of of the written word and also ones who create it then there's so much more that he's he's sort of like griping about at times that he's sort of illuminating um and and you look at him as one of these masters and you go Jesus Christ and it is it, it's really almost comforting at times to go he he thinks about that the same way I do or mm. I never thought about that holy shit mm. um thanks for the insight brother you know um (laughs) and 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 it is a really really interesting thing because at one point um the the female it's ludmilla right am i ludmilla yeah yeah that's right so ludmilla makes a very very clear thing um i forget what chapter said in one of the early chapters um where she draws a line in the sand when they've been told that they can get the finished copy of whatever novel they're on at that point i think it's like the third one um, they can get the finished copy if they go to the publisher. And Ludmilla goes, no, I'm not going to muddy the waters by going to the publisher and engage with that. I, I, I am purely a reader. And she actually sticks to that for the, for the entire thing, except when she visits the, the one author uh, briefly, um, right. the Irish author, correct? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Silas Flannery. Yeah. Well, she's got a correspondence with him, right? Yeah. And, and, and so she's, she's, almost she's kind of full of shit because she does have a closet or a storage room in her apartment full of the behind the scenes stuff from right. uh, what's his name? Ernest M- Manama, whatever the guy's name was. I like, think Calvino himself even says it's the weirdest fucking name <laughs> 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 at one point, but, but I, I didn't want to jump in that just yet. Cause that is a really okay. good um, uh, piece to like, and that kind of gets into this bigger thing of, of translation, but also forgery and this other major mm-hmm. theme that he puts in there. But when we're talking about the line in the sand she draws, that was really, I I, I really, I really like that because I think there is some real truth to once you pull back the curtain Mm -hmm. on the literary world and the the things that we're now aware of, um, you know, we're not even aware of everything, but, you know, some of the stuff that we now know, you, you literally can't go back. And there is a purity that's lost. And I think about reading things like Tuck Everlasting and... You know, those, those books from when you're much younger. Um, and you can't take off the lens of what the writer's doing once it's on. Mm-hmm. Not even, only if you have it a, a little bit. I wonder, like, um, do you think there's any way to return to that Ludmilla state, if you will? Um, that was kind of my question that I think he's toying with and he's touching upon here. Like, that you actually, I think his argument is, and you could correct me if, if or, you know, argue differently, but... I think his argument is like, 
once that's lost, and he's kind of griping about this through the entirety of the book, once that's gone, you, you can never get it back. And at yeah. one point, he literally, as Silas is, is, is kind of saying, the joy is gone. Right? Yeah. You can never be that reader like Ludmilla as a reader again. I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I, I submit that it's, it's very much, um, you can, it can be equated to Scrapple. Um, <laughs> I love to eat Scrapple. I do not want to see how Scrapple is made. However, I imagine the people who do make Scrapple can eventually desensitize themselves enough to still enjoy Scrapple, even though it's not the same. Um, as a butcher uh, for a decade, <laughs> I, I can certainly attest to that. You do have a gap, um, but it's never the same. And I, and I guess that's right. kind of my point there is it, it is never the same. Never the same. Yeah, I actually, on a, on a more personal note, there was this band that I loved in the early 2000s, and um, they weren't very big. They were from Milwaukee. I ended up Facebook friending them, and the one guy turned out to be such a pathetic loser <laughs> that, <laughs> like, it just, it just stained their music. And just, I, like, I, not I a good dude? No, he's a fine, he's a good person. He's trying so hard, but he just, he, he is a pathetic excuse. <laughs> I, I, I just feel bad for him all the time because he just posts like these big long diatribes about how nothing works out for him. I'm like, bro, you need to stop this. Oh, I, loved I your see band. what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so I would agree with you, Nick, that the, the thrill is gone once you kind of, you know, when you, when you see the wizard behind the curtain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and what I thought of immediately was uh, Charles Dickens' David Copperfield. Mm. Um, if I go, I don't on. think you could start. I don't think you could start that book without being told somewhere, even in the book, that that's his most autobiographical novel, and that it, it puts you on a different uh, level of alertness. It's like, oh, this guy actually went. Did he actually do this? And it, it doesn't allow you to, um, I guess, wade in, in the magic of storytelling mm -hmm. once you kind of see how the scrapple is made. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And, and it's funny because, ironically, The Baron in the Trees was one of the few books since sort of seeing how the scrapple is made that I felt that, that, that feeling of like, oh, holy shit. You know, like, oh, this is this is this is what it's like to to be in it and not be thinking about it, because I think that actually that is something that the best authors can do. Like I recently mm -hmm. read um, Twain's um, Diaries of Adam and Eve, and I didn't think about anything but what I was reading when I was reading that, you know, and I was just laughing and having a good time. And that's a lot more loosey goosey. So, um, but I, yeah, I think, I, I think that that's one of the big things that was my takeaway here, but he leans into that wholeheartedly. Well, it's a post, it's a postmodernist book. I mean, it's, it wants you to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, it, it, it operates on a whole different level than, you know, say David Copperfield, you know, that was 150 years you know prior, but, um, you know, this is what came out in 71, right? Mm -hmm. Something like that? No, 79. Um, I think it was public. I think my version was from 81. Okay. Um, so, yeah, 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 79. You're right. So, uh, yeah, I know. Kind of compare, <laughs> when we compare this to other postmodernist works like um, uh, Slaughterhouse Five, sure. right? That kind of plays with, with this as well, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. 
um, what's real. It challenges you in a different way. And I don't know if you can look at this as a novel as the way you could other novels right. that are pure story. So, so that brings to me uh, a couple a couple things I wanted to, to jump into. Unless were you, did you still have something? I don't want to cut you no, off. No, I feel like that's a, good, that's a good place. So one of the things that I really wanted to ask you guys um, and that I think we can talk about well is, it, is this so much uh, a novel as it is uh, a, a, a master course in writing? Is this essentially See, his I, on writing in a lot of ways? I, I would not call this a master course, if, if anything. So I, this is still too new. I don't know how I feel about it. I feel like this is a book that I don't know if I so much enjoyed reading it, but I was really looking forward to discussing it and then reading about this book. Okay. Um, and, and that's interesting because I actually made a conscious effort not to read about this book. Because I, I, I certainly will, of course. I'm not saying that the one yeah. shouldn't do that. But before we discussed it, because I really wanted to see what the pure takeaway was yeah. of this. Because, I mean, the question that I, the note I made to myself is, is this a novel or a meditation on writing a novel? Right? Because so that, that critis, the criticism that he kind of, if we want to argue that he is criticizing this idea of um, dissecting a novel, um, you know, uh, you, you have to do it with this book, though, and it, it's, it's so fucking meta, well, you know? He, He's like, you are going to do the thing that I'm criticizing so you can understand the thing that I'm doing and criticizing. Uh, yeah, but all along the way, too, he's also telling you why he's doing the thing that he's doing, right? I've introduced yeah. the female character here because. I've uh, heightened this, this uh, tension here because. Right? He's literally telling you, like, this has to happen for the story to be a story. And you mm -hmm. go, uh, well, you're fucking a right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. <laughs> um, and it's it's an interesting thing to think about because because he also brings up uh, pretty early on this this I think it comes from Ludmilla this idea of like what matters the author, right? Like it's just a vehicle to get the story. We don't actually care about you and what you're thinking and and, and all this stuff. Like the story is all that matters uh, to the reader mm -hmm. who is paramount. And I think that him addressing the reader and putting the reader in such a, you know, sort of really, really important role in this is his sort of ode to the reader almost, you know, like it, yeah. um, that the reader is paramount. And it's interesting because <coughs> I'm teaching uh, things fall apart. And when you mm. look at a lot of, um, interviews with Achebe and different things that Achebe says, he kind of takes the idea that's very, the, re the uh, author is very important um, because he goes, there's the warrior, there's the, the war drummer, uh, and, and the dude who drums up the, the conflict, the warrior goes out and fights, but the author, the storyteller is paramount because he's the one who passes these tales along and, and, and who actually chooses what details go in and this, that, and the third. Um, and I feel like Calvino's kind of creating a direct criticism to that uh, where it's in fact the reader who's paramount because whatever you write is only going to carry on through the lens and mouth of the reader. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's another angle that he sort of presents with that when Ludmilla is actually talking to Silas Flannery, I, I think. I think Silas makes a pass at her and she's <laughs> yeah. like, well, well, listen, I, I listen, we'll, we'll do it because, you know, you're fine, but I want you to know that I don't actually think of you as the author of these books. Yeah. Yep. Even though, like, like I like your book, Silas, 
but the author Silas is different than you, the person in front of me. You yes. mick which is... bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I think she says that too, right? <laughs> page page two oh two, and then she <laughs> spits on the ground. Well, and it's it's interesting because um, yeah, one of one of one of the things that I that I put as as this note, like, is it is it him talking about writing? Is it, is it him actually trying to create a novel? Is it him trying to figure out how to write a novel as he's writing it? Um, I, I wondered, like, is he cataloging all the possibilities for the novel uh, and making those strings the piece itself in, in kind of the same way that, like, Infinite Jest is using footnotes to make all the thoughts that a character could possibly have real and present and part of the reader's experience um, at the same time. And, like, I feel like he's capturing the mind of the reader and the writer and, and, and kind of intertwining them. And I wonder if he's not saying, like, the writer is actually linked to the reader in some way because the writer might be considering how the reader interprets something as they write. Because we have Silas literally using a telescope to look at Ludmilla while she's reading mm -hmm. and seeing if he can't write the thing that she wants to read in real time and, and, and almost oh, telepathically send it to the page that she's on. Um, There's a line here about writing that is just so fucking devastating. And this is Silas saying this as he's staring at her. <laughs> at times I convince myself that the woman is reading my true book, yeah. the one I should have written long ago, but will never succeed in writing. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> every, and, and I feel like every writer has to think that. Like I never did the thing what that is I that should have done true book? Yet. Yeah. I never did the, the, the true book yet. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there's literally a line where... He goes, how many years since I could abandon myself in a book? That's Silas as well, right? Thinking about how many mm -hmm. years he, he, he's been since he could be like Ludmilla. And she's like this purity in a lot of ways. And it's interesting because he, he also like, and I think we should or could now jump into that idea of is Ludmilla really the, the, the pure reader? Um, because she is harboring this forger, this master catch me if you can forger um, of all these texts. Um, and, and that brings with it this really interesting idea of like, cause they read some of his forgeries and they're like, nah, it's really good. <laughs> sweet. <laughs> you know, and it's not the book I wanted to read, but this was really fucking sweet. And so I, I think, I don't know, what was you guys take on that? Because as the, the sort of sub narrative, um, you know, presents itself, uh, which is this, this, you know, we have all these stories, of course, all these half-started novels, but then the, the actual narrative of the novel seems to be these two dedicated readers working together to find the rest of these pieces and then going on these adventures and doing so. And then there shows up this guy who is essentially the foil to Ludmilla's reader purity. Or Nario, that guy? Yeah. And, and yeah, he's... Marinera. He's, he's 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 this master forger and and he's he's making all these these copies of these of these books oh yeah 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 and um and he's at one point with ludmilla and we find out near the end of course that like we wonder has he been doing all these forgeries has he been fucking with literature to sort of like revenge ludmilla for her purity and her sort of like rejection of him as an artist um, or is he trying because he's trying to point out that, you know, 
it's meaningless that like literature can just be randomly made and and forged and and translations can be fucked and it doesn't matter um and she seems to believe in the purity of the art um or the other argument is that uh he was scorned by her and they were lovers or something like that i think that's another illusion that we get right yeah um so i was wondering what what do you think is the role of 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 the forger in this in this book um was, was he the one that also said no, it had to have been that it doesn't matter who wrote the book and any list. He's like, uh, there are books that we never know the author. There are authors whose name we know, but we don't have their works yeah. like Socrates. Yeah. 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 And then, and then there's, um, people like Homer who we just say, Hey, this <laughs> it's all Homer made up person <laughs> wrote. It's all Homer. Yeah. It's all, it's all Homer. So he was like, so what does it matter? Yeah. And uh, when you, I don't know, man, when you kind of put a, uh, like the scope of time on it in 2000 years. Yeah. What, what will it matter? Dude, that fucked me up too. I'm so glad you remembered that. This idea of like the forgeries. Um, I mean, here, I've got it. This is like a secondary thought to almost all of our conversations so far. Um, what if Calvino is just fucking with us? And he was just writing this kind of stream of conscious, just kind of goofy, whatever popped into his head. And now we're sitting here dissecting it like a bunch of fucking fools. Dude, this is my note. Is Calvino ultimately judging the reader, torturing him and the reader, the character, the reader, torturing him as he does us to have the reader feel something the writer experiences through the process of creation? Yeah. I, and I would say, like, yes. This is what it fucking feels like, reader. Oh, I get to read your finished thing. This is what it feels like <laughs> to fucking make it. <laughs> I couldn't help but yeah, so I, I don't typically go to postmodernist literature, you know, as my let me let me <laughs> kick back after a hard day, you know. <laughs> Lord Step knows my shoes, you. baby. <laughs> so I will open my pension to, for a second. Oh fuck <laughs> pension. Um I think it's a lot of um uh low posturing. What's yeah, there we go. Is that what you were going for? I don't know what you were going for, though. I think that. I think that. Ball grabbery? Sure. I'm on board. <laughs> hot air. <laughs> but it's not hot air. Because he knows he does. He knows his shit. I mean, he's, he's he, walking you through everything yeah. he's doing while also having so many simultaneous narratives going. And not only that, I would argue that these fractions of a novel piece together pretty nicely, too. Yeah. Because not only yeah, do they yeah. move the subsequent or the alternative plot, I guess that's the main plot, but they're moving it, but they're also in a way intertwined and you're getting a sense of like what he thinks about the male character in mm -hmm. literature and what he thinks about the female character in literature and also in, in society in a lot of ways, you know, by the time we get to the end there. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Nick. No, I was just, I was just going to say, like, I, I tend to agree with, with you, Nick, uh, about about Calvino and like the possibility of maybe he is fucking with us, but at the same time, there is some really intensely thought out shit that he is trying to critique and, and, and layer by layer go through with us while still mocking us at the same time. And like, I, I mean, I I've read some pension and, and some of the conspiracy shit in this book reminded me so much of crying of lot 49. Um, and, and just, Postmodernism in and of itself 
like th- there's a pretty good argument on both sides like w- between you and me Nick like thing like the, you know this is this is some really intensely um amazingly put together art and then Daniel's side being like well I, I think he might have just been fucking around <laughs> you know? well, yeah and, and let me uh, counter my own thought here. Well, I think it that was might, just what you, you were supposing, right? Like this might be a possibility. I think, right? Yeah, and, and I'm wondering that if it's if it's just easier for me to dismiss Calvino having intent because I can't figure it out. <laughs> you know, so I'm. It's, but is that part of what he's trying to fucking get us to do? I think the fact that we can have. I mean, we could literally talk about this if this is a whole class right if you want to pick if you were like okay what's one novel that you could choose to have a whole semester on this is one of them right it's like paradise lost if on a winter's night of travel right (laughs) and like it's (laughs) it's one of those things where i think that what we're seeing here is and that's why i kept going back to the to the david foster wallace thing not for pretension by any stretch, but because of what he was trying to do with Infinite Jest, with those footnotes, right? Like, we have so many fucking things running through our mind at any given time that reading a novel is fun because it simplifies that. And the reason this is difficult is because it's more akin to what actually is happening in your mind most minutes of the day, right? You're thinking about a thousand things at once, and this is actually, in a lot of ways, way more realistic than almost anything else you'll read. I mean, you, you think about, I mean, let's really reduce it. Look at, look at a lot of our, our um, uh, comic books and graphic novels. I mean, the reason we, we can burn through a graphic novel in, in a fraction of the time that it would take to read this is because in a lot of ways, the metaphors are, are spoon-fed to us in a lot, uh, you know, often. Mm-hmm. And I'm not knocking graphic novels by any stretch of the imagination. I, I, I really enjoy them. I like them. But in a lot of ways for me, they're a respite after reading something like this. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit of a breath so I can go, okay, I'm just in a story and, and my mind is just enjoying what I'm seeing and, and reading, right? Um, life, is, life is hard enough. <laughs> so I, 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 don't en- I don't enjoy <laughs> but don't this. You, but, but here's the thing, though. Life is also struggle, and we can make some sense of this because we understand literature at least in some minute way, right? And, and I think that what I really enjoy about something like this is that i do feel like wow and and you know it's it's like these fucking trumps that guy's saying what i think but like in (laughs) in in a lot of ways (laughs) when we're talking about it in a real critical way right like if you love an art there's not one character in this that doesn't love literature that doesn't love it right well ernario i wanted to bring him up he is like the antithesis to all of that the, yeah, he's the he guy taught himself chopping up books and making sculptures out of them. Yeah, he taught himself to not. He's making art out of art that's beautiful, but he unlearned to read. Right, <laughs> it's true because he cared for the art so much that he didn't want to be connected to it and know what he was destroying. That's a very um, flattering and positive view of that character. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, I I um I think I I might have. Because I got, I, if I'm being perfect, I really love this. As difficult as it was, this took me longer to read than I think any book that we've done in, in five years of this fucking cast, for sure. Yeah. Mm. But I think it was, be, and, but, but that actually is a mark of like, because I was in it, 
And I wasn't, I could not tell what the fuck was going to happen next. But I was delighted by every time that something did happen, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that's really difficult to do. And I love that he also brought in at one point, like, that, that the way he wrote this actually has some, and I didn't look it up, so I actually should have fucking looked it up. But he, he, he kind of says that this is sort of like an ancient practice. And when you think about it, and he brings up Arabian Nights a couple times, that is literally mm -hmm. what happens in Arabian Nights, the frame narrative, right? Where essentially to save her own life, she cuts off the story right at the climax so that she can live another day. Yeah. So, so this, there is a history for this type of storytelling. It's not, it's not necessarily new. What's different, I think, is that he weaves it in with so much goddamn meta-criticism of what he's doing while he's doing it. You know, because she's not like, and listen, Sultan... I will be <laughs> coming up with something completely tantalizing, but completely <laughs> different tomorrow. So you will not behead me, right? That doesn't happen uh, in Arabian Nights, but here we we do kind of get that. And you know, I, I think he yeah he mentions there's like a, a, a Oriental tradition, which is his words, not mine. I realize that's not a PC term anymore, yeah. um, but he does say that there's that for the novel breaking off and then some new device being thrown in to to build tension and stuff. So um, yeah, that's kind of my my two cents on on is he fucking with us or not i guess yeah um we could probably keep dissecting this for quite a while a semester um, yes a whole semester of a whole <laughs> season of book record um calvino uh so nick you're Comments on Ernario about being so pure to the art, man, that that's that's making my head spin a little bit because I think you're right, and I don't like admitting that. <laughs> it, there's 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 five years of history, dear listener, that you could mine to support what Daniel just said. That's a thousand percent true. Um, uh, and if we look at that. I'm trying to. I'm trying to. He's, he's so, furiously flipping through pages now to, to hopefully, <laughs> uh, you know, sort of uh, undo what I said. I think, but so so this book has challenged me in a way that a book hasn't in Christ since I was probably in grad school in you know whatever modern mm -hmm. literature whatever course we took where I had to read Pynchon. Yeah, hey, what? <laughs> hey, I'm not that old. <laughs> um, so uh, I think I want to end my part of this discussion with hanging my hat on this idea of is this a, a version of pure art? Is there something pure about this in uh, kind of manufacturing all of these frames? What is pure about that? I think there is something to be, to be salvaged. I mean, it ends, what do you mean? Like, you know, like, like when you're talking about purity, like, is there is 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 this pure invention? Is this is this like? Are you talking about in terms of originality? Um, um, I'm talking about the experience of um, being immersed in oh, a story in like a Ludmilla way. Yes. Okay, I get I get you I get you. I'm with you now. But it's challenging you because it, it, right up front we are not Ludmilla. We are you, the reader. Yeah. We are not because it's it's and then here is this other reader, and it. And it but at the end. You're the one that's still reading. Yep. She's done. She's turning the light yes. off. Yes. Yeah. So, um, 
Well, and I've almost, I've almost finished. It, you know. Yeah, I. You know what's interesting is that's the last line. I, dude, I totally. I had this sneaking, sneaking undertone that this was written for readers who are writers. And the reason the writer, or I'm sorry, the reader, who is you, is still reading is because you want, you're getting ideas, like you're figuring out how to write and you're you're going to write after after this is over. That's why you're so in it. Um, And I think that that's a really fucking very (laughs) self-important and inwardly focused, you know, sort of like assertion. Um, But that I just had this sneaking. I don't know if anybody if you guys felt that as well, but I had this sneaking just like undercurrent. Like, why would he? Other than to and and here's a couple things, right? There comes a time. So look at George Saunders most recent work. Okay, right. Uh, uh, Swimming in a pond in the rain. Right. And, And looking at these Russian authors, he doesn't teach that course anymore on these Russian short stories. And so he put it all into this book because he, he didn't know what to do with all that experiential knowledge that he had. Right. So he put it into this book. Bang. And I wonder if Calvino is not doing perhaps maybe something similar. Perhaps he's writing to the reader writer. Perhaps he's uh, going, I know all this stuff and I'm going to have fun with it and turn it into a thing because that's what writers do. We, we know stuff and then we turn it into a thing. And, and, mm-hmm. maybe, there's, and maybe there's that. I had the, the, under, the, the undertone felt to me was this is for the reader who's also a writer. Um, but I don't know. Gregorio, what do you got? I, I totally agree with that. I, I was just thinking the entire time going through that book, like Ludmilla would not want to fucking read this book. <laughs> like, oh, okay. That's it. You yeah, know what I mean? Like, this is not a Ludmilla book. The, um, and that's really funny because we're so concentrated on Ludmilla and this, this pure readership and like who we're writing for and who is the the reader, like the capital R reader. And um, I just find it fascinating that it's not for the faint of heart in terms of, uh, you know, you're not going to go and pick this up and be like, this is a beach read. Yeah. You know, <laughs> definitely. The, yeah. I mean, Ludmilla's kind of full of shit though. She, I said that earlier, but she changes her, she tells you, the reader, and the other characters what type of book she likes, and it's different each it, time. It is mm. different each time, and it also corresponds with where you are in the book. Mm. Yeah. So, like, what she wants is where you're at, because by mm-hmm. the end, she just wants something with finality. Right, and, yeah. and certainly that, that goes along. I mean, the, the deeper you get into the, the what's true, what's false, is there truth, is everything false, and that is the only truth the further you go into that the more almost sinister ludmilla seems <laughs> <laughs> why why do you say that i don't know i just got this like creepy like uh like she knew she was being watched <laughs> okay. while she was reading um well it's interesting that she is essentially two as well right because we didn't mention that she has a sister who is mm. sort of her counter point who right? mm-hmm. is a villain almost yeah and but 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 also very um 
very much in opposition of this idea of that there's a purity that that art is beautiful in a lot of ways she's she's more into dissecting who the writer is where it comes from historical mm-hmm. analysis where it fits into sort of the lineage uh of of human history and stuff and how she can turn it into a thesis exactly right and so yeah. again we're seeing calvino being critical of uh, higher ed in that mm-hmm. way and, and, and mm-hmm. what a what a fucking english department does to the art you know and 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 do we want to and and he literally has that sister go through Silas's stories to find what she wants to fit her thesis rather than experiencing the story and seeing what's there. She's just yeah. pulling out things and, and words, lists of words. Yeah. Lists of to words. be able to like feed into a computer <laughs> and get the gist. <laughs> so he's critical. He's critical of, of every aspect of it. While also there's this through line of there's beauty in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the shit that bothered me. And, um, grad school in those lit classes is is that you were forced to uh, do the Latario uh, dance of, of bending a work of art to fit your narrative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and, and, you know, there is value in that. I mean, that's sort of what we're doing now in a weird, you know, in our own way. Well, the, the truth of the matter is, is that nobody in grad school has enough time to actually do that right. If you have to bend a narrative to fit yours then you haven't read enough. You literally haven't read enough. You need to yeah. read more to find the things that actually suit what you're trying to argue, right? right. You, you're just, you're just uh, kowtowing shit together so that it fits what you want. You, you just have a, you have a gap that basically is due to time because it, it's expensive to go to school and you have to work to fucking pay for it. And you don't have the time to actually get what school's meant for, which is fucking knowledge. But isn't that on the professor's fault? Absolutely. Because they are assigning, here's these 12 books and here's the steam you've got what to... The, the professor's fault is actually this in my... I think about this a lot. It's actually what the assignment is and not the mm-hmm. books that they put... The, the coursework should just be like a door that opens for you to this type of literature and this type of author and this and that and the third. The assignment that they craft and what their expectation is, is should be the thing that actually is the impetus for you to go find stuff based on mm-hmm. this foundation that they've given you. Um, right. And I think professors fuck that up all the time because they don't have the time to actually craft a decent assignment. I think we might have just like started talking about what this book is actually about. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's, there's, there's no time to be a pure reader. There's no time to be a, a, a pure writer. There's just the work in front of you and the choice whether to Feel it or dissect it. Right. There was, so that's good, Nick. There were those two writers in one of the segments where one was the um, uh, tortured writer. Yes. Tormented yes. writer. Tormented yes. writer and, and, uh, uh, and productive writer. Yes. Productive writer, right? And they both were spying on each other. Yes. And they both wished that they could write like how the other one was. Yes. yes. And, and then they both ended up producing something that was like kind of good but kind of like shit. Because <laughs> it was the other person's style or, or mode or whatever and then they didn't they both give them to Ludmilla essentially the same yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and she was like and you've written the same fucking book and it sucks and it ties <laughs> back to um and I convinced myself that the woman is reading my true book <laughs> yes <laughs> you know mm-hmm. but will never succeed in writing you know so yeah. 
Um, so I don't know. Maybe there's more to this book than I'm dismissing. I don't know. <laughs> can, I, can I end on, on if we're ready Please. to end on? Please. I want to end on yeah. something funny, um, which I thought was also kind of uh, freaked me out a little bit. But the product placement in the oh novel. My God. What oh, do we man. think about yeah. that? So at one point, uh, dear listener, the guy who's the super famous writer, Silas, uh, is basically lets us know that companies come to him to put product placement in his novels because he's so famous and so popular. Um, <laughs> they pay him to say that the character's drinking a Coke. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? That never, that never. And I am such a, a, a fucking like asshole about that kind of stuff. That never crossed my field of vision that it could happen in literature. It totally knocked the pedestal out from oh under God, literature yeah. for me because I never thought that that could happen. And the fact that Calvino suggests it, even you know, in this humorous way that he does, I don't know. What, did that strike you guys? Yeah, uh, well, we read. Who was that author we wrote? Um, something Bobby. She's 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 a lady. She wrote. Um, uh, you had to read it. Josh Izzard made us read it in the MFA program. I might not have. Um, I'm not. I don't remember. Bobby anybody. and something. Anyway, she wrote a book that was full of just pop culture um but now as far as like more specific and that was in the 80 i think that was like 85 or 86 but more specifically like product placement um dan brown i think his book after uh the da vinci code angels and demons no that was before, that was before. Uh, oh i haven't read any of them yeah. i apologize i don't know no i haven't <laughs> either i just like you and mcgregor <laughs> who doesn't so in that next book the, the, the character, Robert Langdon, he keeps saying, and I picked up my Apple iPhone. <laughs> right? And by like the third or fourth time, I was like, they had, he, he is, oh, the, they're doing that on purpose. Of course, and then, and it's after Da Vinci Code? Of yeah, course. and then half, about halfway through the novel, um, Robert Langdon uh, smashes the iPhone on the ground. And I felt like that was Dan Brown's kind of like, fuck you. Yeah. You know, sure. I'll, I'll take the scratch. Yeah. You know, maybe the publishing house made him do it. I don't know. Yeah. But, but I well, mean, I'm, I'm sure that, that was a, uh, that was an offer that he couldn't refuse. <laughs> right. <laughs> there's, um, there's a book by Max Barry, um, uh, Syrup. Jennifer Government? No, Syrup. Oh, Syrup. Syrup. Oh, so good. Like that book is, it's, it's essentially one huge product placement, but it's about, Putting, making a Coca-Cola movie based off of <laughs> an offshoot Coca-Cola drink called Coca-Cola Fuck. <laughs> and um, it's just one of the oh, funniest, shit, like, that's you want to talk about a guy, like, satirizing product placement? He had that word Coca-Cola all through that fucking book. <laughs> Coca-Cola Fuck. Oh, yeah. man. That's F-U-K. incredible. That's incredible. Awesome. Um, yeah, I think um, that that author was Bobby Ann Mason, by the way. Okay. Uh, in case there's some listener out there, be like, it's fucking Bobby Ann Mason. <laughs> you goddamn idiots. Um, yeah, uh, I, I did not read it. That was not one that I had to read. Syrup? It's good. Oh, you mean Bobby Ann Mason's Bobby book? Bobby Ann Mason's yeah, whatever yeah. book. Right. Um, yeah, I, I um, right. like you said, we could, we could talk about this forever. I was incredibly pleased to have read it. Um, you know, I think I've swooned enough, so. That's that's my final final thought for the winter's night of traveler. Cool. Let's let's get into this album because it is yes. eclectic. Yes. And fun. And a great 
pairing for this novel. Thank you very much. Una dia, una dia, una dia, una dia. Let's talk about Juana Molina. Um, oh, God. I, I, this is one that was one of those novels that, or not novel, sorry, album, that if you put this on a loop, you literally have no idea where on the album you are. I feel like, except for when Unadia comes on, right? When the title track comes on, <laughs> then, you, then you know where you are because uh, that's number one. But this goddamn album um, is so fucking good. And so just as a little bit of background, Juana Molina is uh, an Argentinian uh, uh, artist who was first an actress um, and she had her own like TV show and stuff. And then right at the height of that, uh, she quits and produces this music. And she's the daughter of a musician um, and, you know, goes into this really sort of cool uh, folk electronic experimental sort of space. Um, and she's, you know, as, as the years have gone on, really been super progressive and like very consistent in in just like tasteful, weird, delicious sounds. Um, and I, I think that like her her accent and uh, affectation and 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 also just like the uniqueness of her composition is is the standout for me with her. Um, but it links to the theme really, I think, pretty profoundly in that she's messing on this album with so many like loops of uh, different vocalizations and also instrumentation. Um, and the composition is such that at times you really and as you're listening to it as a whole album, you don't really quite know where you're at. Um, which is actually a good thing. You kind of can fall into it in a lot of ways. I mean, the vast majority of her songs are um, between like six and eight minutes. Um, mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're pretty long and, th and they are sort of like, they swallow you a little bit. Was, would be my initial, like if I were to ask some, or tell somebody what, what this album is like, that would be my, um, my little brief description. What do you guys, what did you guys now, think? <clears throat> that's succinct. Um, I, so earlier when I listened to this album, I texted you and I said, I'm not sure if I like it, I love it, or if I hate yep. it. <laughs> Which is one of the best <laughs> descriptions I think you yeah. can get. But I, I, I'm, um, I think now that I've, I've listened to it a couple of times and it's, it's settling, I'm definitely in the liking, leaning towards um, loving it. Yes. Um, it is... It is super inventive. Yes. And, and I just, I love the idea that it's just one voice, one musician in conversation with herself in, in, in some pretty unique and, and, and really interesting ways that, that you don't, you don't hear maybe like, like Bjork or something. Yes. But this, this is like way more accessible. Yes. Than Bjork. Which is odd because Bjork's at least singing in English most of the time, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. and she follows something much more uh, close Maybe, to a pop format. But I, but I get what you're saying with the vocalization especially. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the, the charm is that... So when, when I try to tell people... Uh, when I try to help people appreciate opera, I say don't listen to the words. Or, you know, don't, right. think, don't think of them as voices. Think of them as an instrument. So the fact that I have no idea what the fuck she's saying, yeah, I think it just lends itself into oh that's that's just sound now, you know, absolutely. It's it's just melody, and I've n she can be saying go fuck yourself, go fuck. <laughs> <laughs> she's literally just saying one day, one day, you know, in, in the yeah. title track over and over again. Um, and yeah, I totally agree. She does these little things, uh, these little lilts, these little sort of like, um, just ways that she 
uh, intonations would be the correct mm-hmm. term, um, that when it loops and it hits, it's calculated. And, and that's what I, like the composition of it, I really love because cause when that lilt hits, it's usually on the up for me, you know, when I'm listening to it sort of like at the drummer ear, uh, it's very percussive because she's looping mm-hmm. so much and 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 those little lilts are almost like accents that when you catch them you start to see actually what's going on and you can you can i feel like get get more engulfed in in this like swirling um i i don't know just like mist of sound that that seems to she managed to turn rhythm and melody uh into hooks right that's Which, a good way uh, that's, of putting it. yeah that, that sounds like a that sounds like a dumb thing to say well um because the, the hooks when you say hooks we're used to four four you know yeah riffy hooks and it's not that mm-hmm. but it is yeah. like almost like a cigarose type hook or something like that i guess yeah what, so it was the earworms abound mm. you know it's like oh what's that yeah. and, then it, and then it comes around because there's loops um yeah and it just it's it's nice so it's i always like music and, and radiohead does this a lot where things um, are accented, syncopated yeah. in, in interesting ways. And you wouldn't, it challenges your sense of, like, like you said, we love one, two, you know, we, <laughs> we just love that kind of straight thing. So when something challenges that in a, uh, in a delightful way, yeah. it, uh, well, which is probably why I was like, oh, I think I might hate this. Right. Just, you know. Well, it's kind of like we we recently talked about Mars Volta. I think Mars Volta did the same thing, especially with the expectation of them coming from at the drive-in, and then you get mm-hmm. this. Also, you know, there's a, there's a Latin influence there, right? Uh, for them too, um, you know, Latin jazz influence, and and you're getting that um, combined with with this very you know sort of heavy presence. Um, yeah, I, I I totally agree. Uh, Nick, what'd you think, man? Um, I, I thought a couple of things. I was I did not expect that this at all. Um, I found it um, bewildering and perplexing and pleasant. Mahalikas, uh, <laughs> like a real a real um, drifty sort of headspace record that yeah. made me go. I could have this um, and soundtrack this book. Um, because of just how bizarre and yet not all that weird at the same time it is. Um, yeah. yeah. It reminded me, and like I, I don't really have a frame of reference. Like you guys are, are students of music, whereas I'm more of like a, a hobbyist, I guess. Um, but it reminded me of the one Animal Collective record um, painting with just mm. a ton of sound uh, coming yes. together to make really perplexing, beautiful music. Um, that's a that's a great band to to compare her to mm, because yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right with the loops, yeah. especially yeah, loops and just being unafraid to like literally just yelp into a microphone. Well, dude, like um, <laughs> even on uh, Merryweather, you know, line in a coma, line in a coma, line in a coma. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. uh, line in a, and that kind of just uh using the voice like you said yeah yeah um, it's really yeah. great and then um it also reminded me uh, there's a a song during the opening credits of chasing amy that's <laughs> um Jesus. that's really weird and kind of like bum, 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 bum. 
<laughs> you know, it's really weird. And I was like, this is chasing Amy. <laughs> dude, you know, that dude loves his music, man. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, him and Tarantino, they love their they love their <laughs> tunes, baby. Um, yeah. When I when I when I put this album on, my first thought, because I had just finished reading um, If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. I was like, is Mahalo just fucking with us? <laughs> <laughs> you think everybody's fucking with you, man? What happened in these past I don't know. few months? Like something went on where your confidence was just like crippled somehow, I guess. In the past? I I don't know. I, everybody's just fucking with the, me, man. The walls are closing in. I've been really, really grumpy. Err than usual. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad you followed that shit up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's just, uh, I'm just getting, you know, we're all teachers. If I'm just getting a little just weary of just being in the basement yeah. of staring at my goddamn fucking screen. Yeah, man. For 12 yes. hours a day. I yes. think I think that's And just pulling it. teeth. Yeah. From from students and administration. Anyway, so when I'm when I had some art here that was challenging me as well, I think that was probably some of my pushback and resistance um, for this cast. Yeah. But I'm coming around, man. I'm coming breaking around. Breaking down the walls, man. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. I um I definitely for for her too, it, it's really interesting to see that like oftentimes we think of these artists in a really like the ones that are doing this in, in, in such like a, you know, to link it back to novel in sort of a lewd mill way, like a very purist way. Like they, they're, they're born original. They, they have this, you know, DNA to make this kind of stuff. Um, and so it was so interesting for me, just like looking up more about her that like, you know, they just wanted her to be this cause she is, you know, uh, a attractive woman and, and they wanted her to just be this pretty face on TV. Um, mm-hmm. And she quit at the height and they panned her first album is really good and they just the critics in, in Argentina just fucked it up um and then she moved to LA where it was more you know well received and started fucking more with the electronic and stuff and um I found that to be really interesting because it's it's one of those things where I, I guess I have kind of like this perception of of LA especially you know for the, the few times I've been there it's really I could not hate it more you know what I mean like just Get mm-hmm. fucked, you know. Um, just everybody, every single go one, screw. Get <laughs> fucked, um, and and it's really interesting to see that, like, yeah, that is though the place where, like, if you have the thing, you're immediate. I mean, very, very, you know, disingenuous fucking pieces of shit are going to welcome you, but you will get sort of the keys to the kingdom, as it were. Right. And, and then and then you'll have access to all this stuff. Um, and I love that she like got those keys and like was like, yeah, I'm still going to do my own fucking thing. Because my brother, you know, you guys know, Mike, he, he's the one who turned me on to Juana Molina. Uh, and he was telling me about her for a while. And it took me a couple of tries to to uh, actually you know start getting into her and stuff. But once you did, once you do, it's like, holy shit. And, and then you look that up and she's like, she just like sticks to her gun. She does not give a shit. And she has such a solid, real, real, real dedicated fan base because of it. She just does what she does. Um, I think that links a lot with Calvino as well, because it, it comes through in the music. Like if she cared, you would get much more pop sensibility. I mean, I don't know how you exist in LA and put out stuff that doesn't have that sheen that you don't get sucked in and i love that she just like 
fucking does not care. Mm-hmm. There's there's a fearlessness on on this album that again this is a great pairing to the to the novel. It it just seems very I'm gonna do what I want. Yeah, and uh, mm-hmm. guess what? It's gonna be pretty good. <laughs> it's gonna be, there's a confidence. <laughs> I think that's the thing too, right? Yeah. It's not only this this sort of like fuck you. It it comes with this confidence that isn't arrogant. Because I don't get a mm-hmm. sense of like I'm better than you or 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 like fucking check this out. It's more like this is the thing I made. Yeah, well, this who's she in competition with, right? If if we wanted to use that word competition, who is doing what she's doing? You know? Right. Yeah. Well, I think Nick brought up a good like if you if if there was if there was going to be a festival, mm-hmm. I, I would put Juana Molina on like one or two before Animal Collective, if only for like okay. popularity. If I'm being perfectly honest, I've seen Animal Collective a few times. They're fucking awesome. I would love to see her stage show. I would love to see what this looks like with all the musicians playing all the stuff. You know, like, yeah. especially that, that would be a great, like, the last act, Juana Molina. That, like, you'd walk off on a high, man. Mm-hmm. Can, I bring, can I bring you down a little bit? Sure, go for it. Um, Ellie, my wife, nurse, she just told me that she was reading some stuff today that said that we won't be out of this whole coronavirus shutdown shit until 2024 because of all the new variants that keep popping up. So Jesus, I bring that up because of live shows. Oh, (laughs) why Why, why would you you do that that even because of that? Like, what the (laughs) fuck is the matter with you? I don't know, man. It's just, it's just part of, it's part of the um, fuel for my grump. Oh man. Yeah. That's that. That'll grump you out. I, 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 I've just started having a good day. <laughs> it's 845. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. the, that's what he's trying to impress upon us. That's it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I'm like, Not, I'm enjoying myself. And, and I'll, tell today, what, I'll tell you Not what. I'll tell you what. today. <laughs> if, if that's the truth, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'll, well, I'll, I'll charter a helicopter and jump off. And onto the Empire State Building, onto my eye. <laughs> Nick, let's Salmon Louise it off the Empire State Building. I'm in. Book record beer, 2023. Three dudes get skewered on the pipe. That's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm not fucking joking. I will well, fling myself from that helicopter. B- book record beer, the kebab. <laughs> I was going to say, I was, gonna, I was trying to think of something funny for, for a kebab. The kebab. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Juana Molina. Um, uh, uh, wh- so your brother introduced her music to you? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Now, now as a drummer, why are you, what pulls you in? Me, I, I love pure melody. You know, I'm a sucker for yeah for uh, harmony and melody. But you hear things differently because you're 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 a wild man. I, that's really the the thing that actually pulled me in especially with the title track because it is so percussive and the way that she runs the loops because you have to have rhythm to run a loop you can't loop something Mm -hmm. if you don't have rhythm there's like no way um it literally won't work the pedal does not like you uh and so (laughs) the the cool thing about this for me was just like what she was doing and this is the way i think about looping is like yeah you could play the thing straight but you could also put in all these little accents so that when they pop up, it reminds me. OK, so this is my best way to visualize it. Have you ever opened up a music box and seen the comb mm. and then the barrel with all the pieces sticking out? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. for me, what this, you know, her work kind of seems like to me with her, you know, just the looping aspect, which for me is very percussive, is that that um, barrel with the teeth sticking out. And each of those teeth being this little accent of a slight change or variant that she puts into each of these loops that when you catch it, you start to actually catch almost like, you know, if we're talking about narrative and narrative within narrative, um, sort of these 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 variants create these, I don't know, rhythms within rhythms um, when you start catching them. And, 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 and that's what makes you kind of move, because what I'm always fascinated by is the unexpected in percussion but also the use of space and when you don't have the accent where you think it's going to be which is two four usually you don't have that cymbal crash on that you don't have that vocalization you know whatever it might be on that but you get it on sort of the upstroke of three or something like that i fucking love that man because it turns your head around and then you're thinking about everything else in the song in a different way um and that was the major thing for her for me, that that I really turned me on uh, when listening to it was like, wow, like I I am the way I think about um, beats and notes as a drummer is the way she must think about it because of what she's doing with each loop. So syncopation. Essentially. Yeah. You're a sucker for it. I am such a sucker for it, dude. Like if you hang out, if you give me like one, like a, like an eighth note on the bass and you hang out for two and a half and then hit me with a snare and a cymbal on that upstroke mm-hmm. of three. Holy shit, man. That, that is just like such a punch. And then everything else that comes after it, you're now waiting for that. So you've set up this expectation that you, you, you've, you've fucked with the audience entirely, but you have them as well. Like, yeah, right? I, can, I, can, I can see that your pants just got tight just when you were saying that. I know. I, I was like telling Why? myself, I'm going to talk about Wana. I got to wear <laughs> some jeans. And I stuck with the sweatpants just for timing issues. It was unfortunate for us. (laughs) Well, you know, again, it's 849. What are we going to do? Yeah. We're going to drink a beer. I think that's what we're going to do. This is a book record beer after dark. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If you're watching us, our our teeth are black, and uh, the negative image is is probably a little bit freaky. Yeah. And you're in somebody's basement. Uh, so, so my final thoughts on the album is that it is uh, it was unexpected. Um, jarring isn't the right word, but it, uh, I don't think I had heard anything quite like it before. So I, I wasn't really sure what to do with it at first. Yeah, and then I just let it, let it wash over. I was like, oh, this is actually this is really cool. Yeah, and um, so I, I don't. And it's not, I guess it didn't seem immediately accessible, but it quickly proved itself. It's like, well, well, maybe. It does know, get there. It gets there. I know I'm the, I know I'm the new guy, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but I'm cool. Let me in, Wanda. Let me get a yeah. taste. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. What do you think, Nick? Final thoughts? Um, I, I think it, it, if you're, if you're into things that, um, are off the beaten path in terms of what you're gonna typically uh, go for as a music listener because it's it's certainly not a typical sound or a typical thing to listen mm-hmm. to, and it's not easy to find. I'd never even heard of this shit. So um, I would just say it, it's a really nice way to get into some music that you have definitely never heard before. Cool. 
All right, let's talk about this Lakeshore Fog, this hazy, juicy IPA um, we're going to be looking at from uh, Southern Tier. Um, for anybody, uh, dear listener, uh, who may not be familiar, Southern Tier is um, a brewery that, if I'm being honest, like they, they're one of my ones that if I look at the list, I go, they're consistent. Um, I find them to be really consistent. They're, they're really well known. And we just did their pumpkin, um, was our, was our beer. Cause we, uh, you know, did our October spooky episode with the pumpkin. Um, but this is a brewery that again, started in 2002. Um, and they, uh, they started in, in Massachusetts and then, you know, are right now, I would say super famous for their, um, for their pumpkin and a lot of different, uh, pumpkin beers, but they were home brewers, dude. Like they went, you know, with the, the, the five gallon, uh, fucking kettles and, and, you know, carboys and stuff. And they, they now have a massive operation. Um, yeah. just really, really fucking huge. And they're one of those, like I said, just standbys, um, really, really, really good. Uh, and we are looking at their Lakeshore fog, super hazy juice bomb IPA. Um, so the, uh, <laughs> The, the thing that they have here as sort of like a, I guess you could say, background on the thing is a faint crescent moon hangs low in the azure sky as the last <laughs> pinpricks of starlight disappear into the brightening day. Quiet, repetitious sounds float up from the nearly invisible waves lapping the beach. And it goes on and on and on. Um, and Settle down, Moranis. Yeah, Settle that's, down. That's, that's their description for this beer. Um, it's a 6.5 hazy gold IPA, real low bitterness. Um, it's available all the time now since 2019. Uh, you know, and it's three hops, three malts, um, super fruity. And, uh, you know, I am just super pumped to, uh, to dive into this puppy. Um, so let's give it a, let's give it a taste. Gregorio, what are you, uh, drinking here, man? I am drinking, uh, uh, as well a hazy IPA, but this is from, uh, Burlington Brewing Company, Burlington Beer Company from, uh, Williston, Vermont. I'm drinking Stainless Forest Double India Pale Ale. Ooh, nice. What's the ABV on that puppy? Oh, this 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 pup is at 8.2, baby. Noise. <laughs> Noise. Um, this is delicious. And all the things that it said it would be. Uh, super fruity. Oh, you, you drank it already. All right. It's, uh, it's a definite, definite, definite. Just mouthful of delicious. Cheers, boys. I hate IPAs. I'm really not looking forward to this. <laughs> You're just mad because I didn't cheers. I, f- I forgot. I apologize. No, I know. You're not a Nippaman. That's a pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> for real? You don't, you don't, you really don't care for any of it? No. Okay. So I'll be objective. Um, <laughs> this is actually, this is, if, if this is actually really, um, juicy and smooth, almost velvety. Yeah. So I, I mean, the flavor of uh, sh- asshole withstanding. <laughs> it. Uh, that's and, that and you're dankness, saying that because baby. That's, that that's, dankness. That, that's what you say for for those. And it's interesting because it's not. It doesn't taste heavily hopped. No, it's 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 actually smooth. If I had to, if I was forced to drink this, I would. I wouldn't do it happily. 
But I mean, this is what's happening right now. You, you've been forced to drink it, and this is the response. Oh, I guess this is exactly That's exactly what's going on. Dan, you don't have to imagine. Yeah, this is actually. Yeah, you, you've been reading "If on a Winter's Night" way too long. You're just like, yeah. meta, if this Nothing were to happen, is real. If this were going on as it is right now, which it may not be, because it may be a counterfeit. Um, yeah, no, and it's it's funny too because it is a really light um, beer. Yeah. It doesn't, so it's ju- very juicy. I'll give them that. It doesn't do that kind of, uh, you know, gravelly, dry hop thing where it, your mouth feels like it's sandpaper afterwards. Yeah, exactly. It's got that flavor, but you're, it, man, mm. it almost makes my mouth juicier. It, it actually kind of tastes like you ever like leave an orange out for a minute. Do you know what I'm talking about? We just like you open up like a, a, a clementine or something and you forget about it. And then you go back and you, you bite it and it has that sort of like texture to it that you know it's been out for a minute, but then you bite into it. It has that like juice flavor. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? No? Yeah. No, I'm not an orange man. I don't play soccer. I'm not an orange guy either. Uh, I was a big soccer man. Um, yeah. In any case, dear listener, I know your son plays soccer. So because um, I'm the guy in the van. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Eric's going to be like, I knew it. Um, no, uh, what I'm saying is like, yeah, it'll have that. It'll have that feeling. And then um, you'll get that juiciness. So I, I'm getting that with this one. How about yours, Nick? Um, it's, it's fucking fantastic. Um, it is. So I really love New England IPAs and the, the hazier, yeah. the better. And also the the danker the better. Workhorse does a good one of those. Oh, they do. They really do. But they they're on the cleaner side. You know, they I mean it's um, yeah. it's not a, so much a hazy. This is like um, it, it's velvety, pillowy. Um, pillowy. It, that's a good word. Yeah, I like it's, that. It's mm. it's very juicy, mm. but then it's got that great. And I and I know it sounds gross, but like the first time I had a, a really dank. New England, I thought, wow, that tastes like uh, a foot <laughs> on the back end, and um, it's sort of like like if you like a really good um, saison or a farmhouse ale, like it's kind of tastes like hay and shit, um, yeah, and like and also with like a really good lowland scotch, you get it if you like a that peat. dirt, it's like a peat. that peat, yep. yeah, and the. The dirtier, the peatier, the footier, the dankier the IPA, I'm in, and this is this is magnificent, and I am and trying not to drink it fast. What what what's the name of that one? This is called Stainless Forest by. <laughs> no, you Bur- said farts. <laughs> <laughs> you got that foot imagery in my head. I thought you said farts. No. Oh, oh boy. Stainless Forest. <laughs> <laughs> by Burlington Beer Company in He couldn't he couldn't Vermont. hold on. He couldn't he couldn't see the farts for the breeze. <laughs> Ooh. I like Get it. Jesus Christ. We'll give it to you at the all end. Right. I do like that all we're right, doing right. multiple <laughs> uh multiple brews. Yeah. Uh, um, now with the, I mean if there's anything to come out of the um the remote, it's Yeah, for sure. That. It's, it's, we're getting we're, oh, we're going to be doing it doing it like this. Till 2024. Will so. you shut the fuck <laughs> up? Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck. Shut the oh fuck up. Time to buck up. Ooh, we got to do cake one of these times. 
Yeah. I'll be, yeah let me know when yeah. to be sick. I'll be sick that day. You don't <laughs> like cake? <laughs> Jesus. Here's, here's my opinion on cake. I feel like that the guy that's a singer was the guy that had the space where the band could practice. <laughs> so, they just, so they just let him be in the band. You mean a to tell me... A golden bird that flies away, a candle's fickle flame. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 there's some songs where I'm like, I bet you're right. But there's other songs where I'm like, that's pretty brilliant. Nicely done. I like that. Yeah. Um, Italian Leather Sofa is not one of those, but I think it's a sexy song. <laughs> uh, you know, in any case, why are we talking about cake? Um, I don't know. Yeah. All right. Let me introduce a rating system. Yeah, go for it. All right. Um, <clears throat> our rating system is uh, I will rate Italo Calvino's If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Four out of six unreliable narrators whispering down the lane. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> I love how it's the arbitrary six. Six has had nothing to do nothing. with not a no. thing in any of these. <laughs> nope. Um, the album, um, forgive me, what, what's your name? Juana Molina? Yes. Okay, I give that a uh, five out of six unreliable narrators whispering down the lane. And this beer, I give it a three out of six unreliable narrators whispering down the lane. Nice. Um, it could definitely be a six out of six for somebody else. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, the, the fact that you hate IPAs with, with such veracity um, certainly Verve. Is, a, is, a, is a mark for that. Uh, because I have the same beer, I will uh, go next, and I will. I'm gonna rate um, if on a winter's night a traveler. Uh, I love it for so many reasons, but there's there's this thing where I still am struggling with. Do we call it a novel? So I'm gonna I'm gonna call it a, a five point five out of six unreliable narrators whispering down the lane. Uh, one of Molina, I will also give a 5.5 out of six. And that's a compliment to both artists because I think that that there's like this room to get that, to get that half point as if I'm fucking anybody, but 5.5 um, out of six for una dia, una dia, una dia, una dia. Um, <laughs> and then the, Lakeshore Fog, I am an Ippaman. And this does the thing that, like, one of the reasons why I don't really drink Lagunitas uh, IPA anymore is because of exactly what Daniel was complaining about. And this doesn't do that. Um, I really like it. I'm going to give it a five out of six. Um, unreliable narrators whispering down the proverbial lane. Nice. Yeah, it's a well-crafted brew. It is. It really is. They, these guys, they're solid, man. They they make a they make a southern tier pumpkin whiskey now. Oh shit! Just to throw that out. Oh there. man! Well, you know, if we got three more years of this, I am getting some. <laughs> Maybe we should do that for the uh, the October show. Yeah. I think we should step it up. I think we should yeah. just escalate the cast and just start <laughs> really just destroying our bodies for it. Book know? record beer whiskey tobacco <laughs> weed cocaine. Like, we, got, we, we got snuff boxes and shit. We're just. <laughs> Oh we, get, we got a horn just up the nose. <laughs> yeah. The whole cast, we got to keep the same snuff in the nose for the whole cast. 
Oh Welcome to this month's book record, Crack Cocaine. Who's into it? <laughs> Daniel's got his light bulb. Okay, I will do this rating system that I had to write down because your your ratings are getting longer and longer every time you make one. Love it. Um, if on a winter's night a traveler, I'm going to give a six out of six unreliable wow. narrators a whispering down the lane. Uh... Una Dia, the album I can't make heads or tails of, but enjoyed quite a bit. I'm going to give a 4.5 <laughs> out of six unreliable narrators again, a whispering down the lane. Again, the theme, the theme for the cast. <laughs> can't make heads or tails of it. Enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to get, uh, get, I'm going to give. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> We're all going to get in a We're couple gonna minutes. Get, yeah. I'm going to give Burlington Beer Company's Stainless Forest. <laughs> a six out of six unreliable Ooh. narrators are whispering down the lane. Ooh. That's right. Oh. oh. Yeah, I'm feeling pretty oh. good. Yes. He, likes, he likes his beer yeah, that he despite, and bought himself. <laughs> Despite Daniel farting into his microphone not 10 minutes ago, I'm still in a pretty good mood. <laughs> I didn't fart until... <sighs> the thing you said was a fart. The thing you said was a huge reeking fart that you sent uh, through the internet into my, my fucking house. Uh, Thank you so know. much for listening to Book Record Beer this <laughs> month. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Don't forget to check us out on the internet. We're on Facebook.com slash Book Record Beer Podcast. We're on Twitter at Book Record Beer and on Instagram at Book.Record.Beer. We are, of course, on Apple Music or whatever we call it, iTunes. That's cool. We're on SoundCloud. You can listen to us anywhere. What a wonderful thing. Have a wonderful <laughs> month. And my God, if you can get vaccinated, do it. <laughs> do it. Coiling. I was on a Zoom conference today, uh, an IEP meeting, and I was on mute, and I farted so loud. The, um, the alert came up. You must turn Are your you microphone talking? on. Are you talking? <laughs> imagine, imagine if during an IEP meeting, they're like talking about accommodations, and it was like, uh, I don't know, extended time. Always, there's always that worry that you're not muted, too. Yeah. Oh, man. Just tear one I, off and be like, oh, oh, thank God. Uh, I should say that that did not actually happen. Um, but I, that happened.